morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 19. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his word. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his word. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his word. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky By your word is your servant warned. In keeping it, there is great reward. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his word. The heavens
Jesus cast a look on me. Give me sweet simplicity. Make me poor and keep me alone. Seeking only thee to know. And all that feeds my busy pride. Cast it evermore join together in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks and we pause to acknowledge that you are the good, that you are the creator of all things, that which we see and that which is unseen. We thank you as we continue to celebrate Christmas and the incarnation, that you did not just create us, but you are the one who has drawn near to be with us. And so we thank you for Jesus Christ who has revealed you truthfully and not just revealed you but acted on your behalf to reconcile us to you, Lord. So we give you thanks and we pause and give you, just acknowledge that we are not alone and that life does not consist simply of what we can bring, our resources, our strength, our circumstances. And Lord, we're mindful, especially as we enter a, a new year, a time in which we often are evaluating or looking back or even making hopes for the future. We thank you that you are the God of, our, of the past, the present, and the future. The one who was, is, and is to come, who does not change. And so let you, Lord, be our hope today and each day forward. Teach us by your spirit to walk in your ways, to find our hope in your abundant grace and your steadfast love. And we pray that out of that reservoir, out of that truth, that you may teach us more and more how to love one another and love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this time, children are dismissed for children's worship. They can make their way over here to my right, and Melinda will be there to take them down to their class. We're going to continue with our worship through a time of confession and assurance. You'll see in your order that we can do that together through a corporate prayer and song, and then we'll have a time of, of silent personal prayer. So I invite you to join together in our corporate prayer. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone.
take a moment of quiet that you can bring your own personal confessions and need to God. tells us to come to your throne of grace with confidence not confidence that we are good or that we make the right promises for the future but confidence that your grace in Christ is greater than our sin and so we give you thanks for this promise and the wonder of your forgiveness it's in Jesus name we pray amen I invite you to stand that we can say together these words of assurance that come from Isaiah 52 Verse 9, let's join together. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Well, as Christ has welcomed us in his mercy, let us turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness of the, to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. The New Testament lesson is from Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
good morning. <clears throat> well, this morning we are going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 2. But before I read our text, I'd like to set the stage by saying that uh, Matthew begins his gospel with uh, a genealogy, <laughs> a list of people that, that point to Jesus as the promised Messiah, as the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. It's a huge theme, obviously, in Matthew's gospel, and so it starts off by pointing, aiming the arrow in that direction. But what may be hard to see in his genealogy is that Jesus is also the son of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. In a list like this, this is most definitely unexpected, right? It's not only does, does Matthew name women, but it's the particular ones that he chooses to name. And one would expect names like Sarah and Rebecca. Leah or Rachel, but not these women. I mean, for one, right, Tamar is from Canaan, and Ruth is a Moabite. They're Gentiles. They're outsiders. Not only that, they are women that are linked to scandal, to, to moments of darkness in the history of Israel and its fathers. And Matthew, he, do, he doesn't just stop there. In, in, in his introduction to Mary, Mary and Joseph, he clearly says that before Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she was found to be with child. Right? The rumors of her supposed infidelity would have been profoundly shameful and, and really hopeless for Mary and her future. And certainly, Joseph could have promoted her demise. You see, our story, our story today is surrounded with complex, complexity and scandal and and yet it sets the stage for even our story, our text this morning, the story that opens wide God's intention in this world, drawing near the most unlikely of people from the most unlikely of places. So let's turn together to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 10. Feel free to just follow along in your order or you can listen as I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for gathering every one of us here. Thank you for gathering us from places we have found ourselves physically and spiritually, emotionally from the year that we have just had. Thank you for gathering us from all the places that we are presently thinking about or facing for the future. Father, you know how we all come this morning. You know what every one of us needs. So, so I just pray that you would meet us through this word and may it lead us to the word who bears our flesh. Pray this in, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, sometime after Jesus is born, Matthew tells us that Jesus is visited by wise men from the east, right? And if we read closely, we know that, that Matthew doesn't tell us how many there were. He doesn't refer to, refer to them as kings. The, the term that Matthew uses is wise men, or more specifically, magi. And originally, the Magi were referred to as a priestly class of people in the East. And most likely, they came from a place like Persia. Um, but by the time of Jesus, this, this word was used more broadly to refer to magicians and astrologers in general. And more than likely, these wise men were from Babylon, where astrology had uh, become something of a sophisticated science. Now, people uh, in the ancient world, they tended to believe that what happened in the stars was closely related to what happened in the world, right? So the idea that a special star it coincided with the birth of a famous uh, and important person would have been relevant and relatively widespread. And if these people were from Babylon, well, then that would explain why they had some limited knowledge of Judaism, and why they took an interest in the king of the Jews, right? Because we know, and Matthew's readers would know, that many centuries beforehand, many of the Jewish people had been exiled in Babylon. Well, regardless, either way, these wise men report that they were guided by a star. And as a result, they were willing to, to make a, a several-month-long journey from their homeland in the east to Jerusalem in the west. I mean, this journey is about 900 miles. <laughs> it would have taken them several months to complete. Now this, I mean, this journey of the Magi is not altogether unique, right? Uh, we know later on in 66 AD that a similar group of Magi made the long journey to pay homage to, to Nero in Rome. But these wise men tell us that when the star came to rest over the place where the child was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They fell down and they worshiped this child by giving him gifts fit for a king. So the presence of this strange sort of caravan snaking its way through the holy city would have been really, really striking. <laughs> they were very unlikely, very unexpected visitors to Jerusalem. And Matthew, he tells us that the whole city is is stirred up, is troubled when they show up. So what in the world are they doing there? Why are they in Jerusalem? So these very unlikely visitors have a very unlikely reason to be there. And this is what they ask Herod, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
So part, so part of the, the Magi's worldview, right, the, w- was when things happen in the night sky, they usually have corresponding realities to Earth, right? And this may, may seem strange, right, at least to most of us here, right? But, but if we're honest, we can admit that there are traces of that worldview all over the place. If you read a horoscope, then you know there's a, a trace of that worldview still present in our world. And for the purposes of the story, when they, what they saw is, is less significant to the fact that, that they saw something. And it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just a coincidence. They saw something that made them think that a, a king had been born in Judea. And it was important enough for them, for them to, to pack their bags and to put together a, a gift list and to, to go on a journey. Another way to say it is, is to say that God met them in the place that they were looking. God spoke to them in the language that they understood. And when he did that, he invited them on a journey to find Jesus and to figure out who he was. And so let me say something about this for those of us here this morning who are wondering about belief, who are uh, not yet sure what we believe. I just want to say this. This is not some unusual tactic in God's arsenal. And I think he's always doing things like this. Quietly meeting people like us, even unlikely people like us, right where we are. Whispering to us, speaking to us. He's whispering to us that story that we read that, that, that was surprising, that has this unfathomable act of sacrifice that we just can't get out of our head. He's in that really strange and compelling lyric from that song that you really like. He's whispering between the lines from the results of the lab work that you had gotten done when you saw your doctor last month. He's underneath that feeling of loneliness and shame when your parent offers yet another critique of your life. And you think God is poking around at people like us ways like this. He's eager to meet you, chasing you with relentless pace, with deliberate speed, with profound immediacy, wherever you find yourself this morning. Friends, I don't think the question is ever, is God speaking to me? I think the question is always, what is he saying and what should I do about it? I mean, are are these whispers, are these echoes, are these fragments of the other, are they just figments of my imagination or are are they just maps that lead nowhere? Or like they were for the wise men, are they a deeply fertile soil that lead us somewhere for our good? So let's pack our bags, let's get our gift list together and go on a journey. And that's what the Magi did. And this is what they say to Herod, right? He, we want to worship the one who has been born king of the Jews. Not you, Herod. <laughs> We've come for the other one who has been born. We thought he would be here in the royal pa- palace, but obviously we were wrong. So tell us where we should go and find him. And after that question, uh, the magi, they, they even begin to recede for a little while in the story, and it's 
Herod and the chief priest and the scribes who come more clearly into focus for us. But Herod, of course, he's the, the puppet king of Jerusalem. He was given power by Rome over that particularly troublesome region of the world around 40 BC. And the, and the, and the older that Herod grew, the more paranoid Herod became. In fact, he killed his wife. He killed two of his sons because he was worried that they might try to get his power from him. And this led Caesar way off in Rome to say that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. <laughs> so it should surprise anyone that when Herod hears about a newborn king, he's greatly troubled. And I think that is that this is a really really important part of the story. I mean, Jesus is an infant, but his presence is seen as a threat. I mean, Jesus has been nowhere near a throne in his whole life, and yet his kingdom is already unsettling to the powers that be. And friends, nothing has changed about this one tiny bit since the story was first told, right? Jesus and his kingdom always stand as a threat to even the most benevolent empires and rulers. He's a genuine threat to every ruler that has ever walked the earth, no matter how moral they seem or how tyrannical they act. And the reason is just really simple. <laughs> because Jesus' kingdom is the only true and just and peace-filled kingdom that this world has ever known or will his rule is the only rule that leads us perfectly into the kingdom of flourishing that we were made for as human beings. His rule is the only rule that leads to the kind of justice and peace that this world was created for in the first place. And it is his kingdom that will outlast because of the self-giving love of its king, a king who gives his life. I mean, this is the rule that will bring the healing of the nations and, and cause the end of tears and mourning and pain and death. And so this says something to all of us. This has something to say about uh, our politics, no matter where we situate ourselves. This has something to say to every human ruler and, and their politics, no matter where they situate themselves. And that is this, that every human rule has a bracing and beautiful target that they need to aim at. And to the extent that any human rule doesn't look like Jesus' kingdom, it absolutely needs to change, it needs to be transformed. The church, this truth is, is ever present in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, right? the prayer that we often pray together. Our Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, we know those words, right? We, and we need to remember that these aren't just pious, filler words that they round out the prayer, that these are words of Jesus' politics, right? And they must be our first allegiance, right, if we are his followers. And that brings us back to the story, to Herod's most pressing problem at that moment, which is that he has no idea where this king is supposed to be born. He doesn't have the, the slightest clue where Jesus is to be born. So he calls the, the chief priest and the scribes, and he asks them straight up, where, where is Christ to be born? 
where is the Messiah to come from? Now, these guys are, are really no friends of Herod, but in order for them to, to stay in power, they conform to his agenda. So they lead him to the book of Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2, and they say that he's going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. And strangely, this is the last we hear of the chief priest and the scribes in the story. And I think it's notable, right, that their absence is, is noted. It's, it's something to, to highlight, to address. I mean, even if it's just a scrap of a rumor of news that a, a Messiah has been born, does not that raise any further exploration? I mean, the response to this news is to do exactly nothing. They don't even send a messenger on that short five-mile hike to Bethlehem to find out if it's true the king has come. I mean, friends, this is, there is something disarming, I think, about this part of the story. Perhaps, perhaps you have sat in church your whole life, and the gospel is something that rarely moves the meter for you anymore. I mean, it sounds like good news, but it slowly gets tangled up in a web of doubt, in the web of hard life experience, in the web of silence and suffering, in the web of Christian duty. And part of what Jesus breaking into this world means is that we don't have to draw clean lines to the resurrection. Right? Your journey to Jesus doesn't have to be cleaned up for Disney Plus, right? It, let's be honest, it, it is often full of anger and sadness and abuse and addictions and longings. Oh, the longings, right? The longings to be close, to, to, to feel seen, to feel loved no matter what. Those real and honest longings. Jesus sees all of them and he wants to meet you like he met the Magi, right where you are this morning. He wants to meet you in the mess and hang out there for a while to begin to be honest about the real sin and the real brokenness and the real heartache and the real trauma that has dulled and eroded your life. He wants to meet you right there with all of his kindness, not, not just so that you look good on the outside, but to change you from the inside. So that when you show up to church and you show up with your family and you show up among your neighbors, you are bright and new and whole. And maybe, just maybe, the curiosity of these pagan outsiders not the turned off religious folks. Maybe, just maybe, these people who seem so far away from God, these outsiders can lead us on a journey to the one who can make us whole. Herod, of course, is quite different. He plots to murder the child that has been born. He, uh, he tells the Magi to go and find him and to tell me exactly where he is so that I can worship him. Of course, we all know it's so that he could kill me. Real Messiah or false, he wants no challenges to his power. And so here are two reactions to Jesus' birth, to the incarnation. Here are two responses to, to Jesus' coming as, as one of us for us. Indifference from the religious insiders and hostility from the powers that be. 
Jesus comes and he is met with indifference and hostility. And of course, this is Matthew's big setup, right? Because he's inviting us to find our place in this story. And he couldn't set up a, a more stark contrast if he tried, right? For their part, the, the Magi, they set off to, to Bethlehem and they find, to their surprise, that the star appears again and it leads them until it rests over the place where Mary and Joseph and the baby are staying. And God is whispering to them again in their language. He's drawn them and finally they're at the end, he's at the end of their journey and there is no better way to tell what happens next than the way that Matthew does. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going down to the house, they saw Mary, the child, and they fell and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they gave him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these strange visitors, these freakish pagan astrologers, <laughs> the ones who have been far from the promises with no hope in this world, they fall down at the sight of the infant Jesus and they worship him and they give him gifts that are fit for a king. And with them down there on their faces in front of Jesus, we start to get the story. We start to see how the story fits into the larger story, the true story of the world that God has been telling all along. We begin to see that these, this makes sense in the story. As God, God was saying to Abraham, I, I know that you don't have a family, but through your family, that's not even a family yet. All of the families of the earth are eventually going to be blessed. And then he says to this surprising group of outsiders and messed up people, I know that you're not a nation yet. You're of no repute at all, but through you as a nation, one day all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And he says to his people through the prophet, even though darkness covers the whole earth, even though thick darkness covers all of the people, I'm going to rise among you. A nations will come to your dawn kings to the brightness of your dawn and they and then you'll see and then you will be radiant and then your heart will thrill and exult the visit of the magi is god's way of making it completely clear that these ancient promises are being kept even in a way that no one could have ever imagined the visit of the magi is this first trickle of the promised flood that the entire world would, would hear the good news. We are here this morning because the Magi went that morning. The most unlikely people of all, right, to watch them fall down and to worship Jesus. The visit of the Magi is really, really good news. <laughs> the visit of the Magi is good news for a world that is broken. It's good news for Chicago. It's good news for Eastern Europe that is in the grip of war, beholden to the violence that wickedness has brought to them. It's good news for the Uyghur people and the genocidal intentions that have come to them to, to rid them of their homes and put down their culture. 
It's good news because it reminds us that the king who was born king of the Jews is the true king of all the world. And this king is unlike other earthly powers. He's completely unlike any of the paranoid Herods that our world is full of. And he stands against violence, and he stands against oppression, and he stands against the chaos of darkness that is everywhere because of paranoid Herods. And it's a reminder to us, it's a reminder to the broken world that he, he, was, he has borne the curse of our violence on the cross and he has defeated it. And a day is coming, a time is coming when, we, when he will judge it finally and forever. And the visit of the Magi is good news for all the outsiders, for the Tamars and the Rahabs, the Rus, the Bathshebas among us, for the poor and for the forgotten and for the vulnerable. It's good news for the worst of the worst. And the visit, the visit of the Magi is good news for you and for me. It's good news for those of us who are sinners and who know it. And it's. It's for those of us who are sinners and we're pretending desperately that, that we aren't, right? It's, it's good news for those of us who feel completely crushed by our sin or the sin of others against us. The visit of the Magi is good news to us because it is a reminder to us that the infant to whom the Magi are bowing has a name. The angel told Joseph, name him Jesus. Name him God saves because he will save his people from their sins. The visit of the Magi is very, very good news. And it is also an invitation. It's an invitation to find our own place in the story, even if it is with the most unlikely and strange characters in it. <laughs> it's a bow and adoration at Jesus' feet. It's an invitation to gaze on the beauty of Jesus and to thrill and to exalt and to be radiant at the sight of God with us. Let me pray. Father, we come with full hearts, knowing that Jesus, that he is our greatest gift, bringing rescue for the whole world. And I ask that that, Lord, you would, you would work in us as a church and as individuals so that we do not meet this good news with indifference or hostility. But, Father, work in us to come with open hands, with adoration, with worship. May this worship change us and grow in us more, more grace to live the life that you have called us to live. Father, do this for our good and for the, the broken world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, who has poured upon us the light of your incarnate word, grant that the same light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as Pastor Brian uh, reminded us, the story of the Magi is a, an announcement, but also an invitation. And I was struck by, as he shared about how God speaks often in language or in ways that we understand or ways that would meet us. And that is a, a helpful way to think about the table of the sacrament of communion. For we're invited to a table to sit at a family meal. And we're invited to think about our longing to, to be in such a place, to be part of a family in which we are welcomed and known. But even beyond that, to know again that feeling of, of hunger and thirst. Scripture uses that image often, even asking in Isaiah, why do we pursue, why do we pay for food that does not satisfy? Why do we chase after drink that will not quench our thirst? And then inviting us to come to that which will satisfy the table of the Lord and his steadfast love. So this table is set for those who know what it is to be hungry and thirsty. Knows what it is to often find ourselves chasing after things that we hope will satisfy but will not. Christ came for such people as you and me. And this table shows us that he came pursuing us and inviting us that we would have a place a place that satisfies us into the depths of our being. And at the heart of this table is his broken body and shed blood. A bread and a cup that will satisfy us. Reminding us that we do not just hunger for bread, but hunger for the very word and life of God. So if you know what it is to hunger and thirst, if you know even what it is to chase things that don't satisfy, and if you have placed your faith in Christ, then come eat and drink. Let this be an invitation to you to come again responding and knowing your identity as one who gathers as God's family through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this bread and this cup. We pray, Lord, that you would set them apart, that you would sanctify them, that through your spirit you would meet us. And by this table that you would nourish us. For we do come as those who are hungry and thirsty, longing for you to meet us this day. We pray by your spirit that you'd minister to us, meeting us where we are. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving communion, I invite you to come forward at this time. If, we're, everyone, when we're, if you're taking communion today, I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. If you're able, I ask that you would hold the elements until we have all received them, that we can eat as one family. If you're not taking communion today, we still invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I will offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Now let's come to God's table. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith.
Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table of grace, let's stand together and pray and sing as God's people. O Lord Emmanuel, you are the light of the world. You have promised that all who follow you shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Give us courage to share this light with others as we sing together. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord has redeemed his seated. We're going to continue worshiping through a time of, of, of giving our offering to God and responding to God's generosity. So I want to go ahead and invite the greeters forward. They have a, a gray basket for your communion cup and a, a silver plate for offering. Uh, you note in your order that you can also give through the church's website or by text if you would prefer to do that. I just want to take a moment also to say again, Happy New Year and, and welcome, especially if you're visiting um, this morning. Glad that you can be here and join us for worship um, if you are new to the church and would like to share your information, uh, there's a QR code in your order of worship you can use uh, to do an online card, or there's also a connect card at the back table there um, that you can do on the way out. Um, also, just a reminder that we do have a time of coffee and bagels uh, after the service in the Waters Cafeteria. Uh, if you go out the doors and turn left, you'll see all the glass windows and doors there. That there's, uh, it's there. So hopefully you can stay after and have a chance to get to know each other better or just catch up holidays. Let's continue uh, giving our gifts to the work of God. with us with our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings fall. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father Son and Holy Ghost. 
Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.